And I also, I remember, because I was more or less the same age as Dorsa, the oh, little wow. girl, uh, when the war ended. So, so you know, I clearly remember the sirens going off and then, you know, running down to the basement. And uh, it, it was really interesting because it was kind of living uh, in Iran and growing up. It was uh, kind of like an invisible war. Uh, uh, sorry, living in Tehran, it was kind of like an invisible war for us because um, it wasn't the front line. So it was always like either like the raids or the missile attacks. Mm -hmm. So you you never knew, like as a child especially, you, you never knew what's really happening. It's just like you knew that when the siren comes, you run downstairs. Every now and then you hear blasts in the distance. And you come upstairs calling relatives. Are you okay? Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Are you okay? And um, so that was quite freaky. And, uh, you know, uh, like I said, because as a child, you don't really understand what's happening in the real world. Um, There is nothing to fear except God, whatever that means to you. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is longtime pal and fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago, but he said something about needing to go hunt for his ball of magical cat fur, which, <laughs> what? I don't know. But uh, I'm sure I'm sure something important is happening and he'll you know, fill us in when he gets back when hopefully he'll be back um, while he tends to that. Allow me to welcome you back to our current overarching series in the morning. This phase dubbed remnant. We began this series, a corporate discussion of learning to lose with Infinity War and followed it with a ghost story. Then the changeling last week. Stir of Echoes. Those last two were with friends Bill Obers Jr. and Noel Manning, and Infinity War with Friend of the Fog, Ian Olsen. This week, we'll be looking at the film Under the Shadow, and our conversation will start once more backboned by a TV guidepost featuring HBO's The Leftovers. But I'm getting ahead of myself, uh, because here at The Fear of God, we explore, we don't explain. Except for right now when I explain that you can find The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform of choice and also now on YouTube. That's right. We finally made it. We're on the small screen, sort of. Um, come find us on YouTube. Uh, if, if you consume podcasts there, as I understand some people do, you can find us there. We're pretty much caught up. Um, you can also find us on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, wherein you will find episode archives and merch, which include things like cell phone cases, t-shirts, campaign buttons, magnets, pillows. Read! Read! You're... <laughs> Are you... Oh. Mm -mm. <laughs> that is a ball of magical cat fur, if ever one existed. 
He's not even mic'd. He's, oh, God. <laughs> Only on YouTube, everyone. Only on YouTube did you get that did you even glorious know what was happening? appearance <laughs> of Reed Lackey. Reed, welcome back, buddy. You and your pal. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's yeah. fun, fun times to be here. Yeah, so that was we had that a- was my own version of Camilla over there. His my my, oh, my, yeah, my yeah, safe, yeah. Okay. safe doll. Now oh, I get it. Keep up. Did it you is, watch the material has, that we that we cover on, on this show? It watched me, man. It, I don't know. This one. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, Riri, last week we talked about Stir of Echoes, and we had a good time with old Noel That was Manning. fun. I enjoyed that. That was fun. We met him at the movies in the same way he did us. We've also, Riri, got a new bit. We got a new bit. It's like a new, it's a new thing, a little thing we're giving to the people. Um, the listeners responded last week and we want to remind them of our new call to action section. So we've, speaking of pals, oh. why don't you bring in our pal who joins us for this new little call to action segment? All right. You ready? Mm hmm. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Let's see, business section. Ooh, la, la. What do we got here? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Here Let's we are. It. So call to a- calls to action, not call to actions. Calls to action? It's like inspectors general. You're overthinking it. Mothers-in-law. <laughs> call to action number one. We want your email. We are going to send you a Fear of God sticker designed by Jacob Hunt of the It's Alive art from our very first art. Um, we're going to send you a free sticker. All we want in return is your email address. We are trying to expand the fog footprint and we need your email address, email address to do that. So go to the website front page. It says, says subscribe, put your email address in there, hit the enter button or whatever the button that submits it is right there. I'm not looking at it. And that's awesome. If you've already submitted, um, we're going to be reaching out to you to be able to get your mailing address so we can send you your lovely sticker. That's exciting. I'm very excited about that. All right. So that's call to action. Number one, call to action. Number two, we need you, uh, because this is our penultimate episode of the, of our series, hashtag in the morning, the sub series, hashtag rendment, uh, the sub sub series of all the sub series. So yeah, we are going to be tagging back in to the much more direct 2020, 2020, where we are going to be counting down your favorite horror films of every year from the 2000s but we need your votes some people have already voted but I feel like not uh, everybody has had a chance to go so please go and vote in the 2009 and 2010 surveys Uh, you can do that by going to fearofgodpodcast.com clicking the banner at the top that will take you to the surveys cast your vote for your favorite horror films of 2009 and 2010 which we will be counting down in your top 10 in an episode in just a couple of weeks so this is essentially your That's last wild. week to do that. So please go. We will be closing the voting as of our next week's episode. So please go cast your votes for that ep- uh, for your favorite horror films of 2009 and 2010. And uh, yeah, that's very exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to so, it. So subscribe. Give us your email. We'll give you a sticker. Yes. Vote. It is your obligation, uh, if nothing else. Uh, I'm, I'm about to raise the game on this one, Riri. This is just real time. Real time game raising. <laughs> I know. Me too. <laughs> so, uh, what you're watching. We love what you're watching around here. Um, shout outs once more. Two episodes in a row. You guys are amazing. Um, yeah. Asia and J Mark, Schwartz and Truber. Good Lord. I hope I got that right. So, um, you guys inspired this. So thank you. And you're welcome. And what we want, listeners, viewers, we want you guys to provide the what you're watching 
you you know the drill, and if you don't, Reed's about to tell you how it goes. What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> so we want you to record. You know, use a voice memo, whatever. Record yourself. Record people in your household. Keep a social distance. You know, might not be able to pick up the recording as well. Um, so cl- people close to you, your dog, whatever. Voice memo it, email it to us at fearofgodpodcast.com. We are going to use you guys. What? 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 Well, they're not our dogs. That's just all I (laughs) said. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yes, we are. Please email those to us at fearofgodpodcast.com. How I am going to raise this game right now is, guys, we're on YouTube now. We're doing video versions of these podcasts now. If you want to film yourself, your peers, you and your spouse, uh, you and your animal, singing what you're watching what you're reading what you're listening to we'll figure out a way to throw it into the video version too primary is the audio but feel free to throw the video at us too same way fear of god podcast at gmail.com very exciting so uh email for a sticker uh vote record audio and or video of singing what you're watching and we're gonna throw it in there what's last all right so the last one is we have just announced last week the very first Fear of God book club. It is happening. It's we have our very first entry coming up in just a few weeks. Um, in just a, 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 about a month's time, we are going to be tagging in on uh, in lo- uh, in preparation for HBO's upcoming show, Lovecraft Country. We're going to be having a conversation with the author of the novel, Lovecraft Country, awesome. Matt Ruff. Again, thank you to Blake Collier for introducing us to him and for his graciousness to come on to the show. So we're going to be having that conversation. We want you to have as much time as possible to be able to acquire a copy of the book, uh, either through your local library or through any of the various means that you have to purchase it, and uh, be able to read it before that conversation so you can be ready and well-informed for that, but I will again emphasize, support your local library because if you will share our show or an episode for our show um, or something about your thoughts, uh, thoughts, anything, yes, if you will share our show or any of its related content to your social media platforms and tag us in it because we won't know you've shared shared it if you don't tag us. So share it, tag us in it, and you will be automatically entered into a drawing for an a chance at an autographed copy of Matt Ruff's Love Lovecraft Country. So, uh, yes, it's very exciting. All of this. It, it's That's very exciting. Really, really exciting. That's really awesome. So, so uh, emails for stickers. Send us your email via the front page of the website. Vote. Uh, record yourself and your peers and whoever seeing what you're watching, reading, listening to go back and listen to any of our episodes of the last two years, basically to get the tune Yes, that if, if Reed didn't help just there mm-hmm. and read Lovecraft country. And on top of reading Lovecraft, Lovecraft, share, share guys. Listen, we are Reed and I are thrilled about the energy of the show and want and think some of you guys are too yes. and want to be yeah. able to grow that footprint even farther and further, farther. It doesn't matter. Um, and, uh, it, it does matter. I'm just not going to spend the time to wonder about it so that in this moment it doesn't matter. Don't but, get existential. You know, just, just tell them what you I know, want. I know. Yes. I'm <laughs> just trying to say words matter. Um, so share your thoughts, share an episode, share something about the show so that people get, we get more eyes. Um, those shares, if we are tagged in them on your socials, mm. enter you into an opportunity to win an autographed copy of Lovecraft Country by its author, Matt Ruff, who will Absolutely. be on the show. And that, Thank you, our friend, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. It's showtime.
Indeed it is, sir. Okay, so here's call what we're going to be doing next. There you go. Yes, those were their call to actions. Uh, we've we've segmented this out into this little business section, uh, business time. Um, so now... It's business time. It is business time, but now it is time for something even better. Are you ready, Nathan? Are I'm ready. ready. Okay. I, I, well, no, really. Nothing can be make you ready for this Not show. for this one. Not for this one. But in the spirit of that... <clears throat> Welcome to another edition of Hashtag TV Guideposts, where we're going to be diving into episodes 7 and 8 of season 1 of HBO's The Leftovers. I'm wondering how many possessives I can include in this little introduction. Uh, we're going to be exploring the episodes Solace for Tired Feet and the much shorter named Cairo. Not the Cairo syrup, but as in the Cairo or Cairo Egypt, or Cairo Egypt, but uh, but a place I don't know what that voice was, but I'm here to tell you about <laughs> Sorry. the episodes from it's the leftovers. <laughs> please, please stop talking. And we're back. <laughs> I love, I so love episode this, seven, the, the, the TV so. guide post intro. It's like it's getting more and more meta as it goes along. To yeah. it's like you just now you, that's kind of us. Now you really are picturing not the bygone days of ethereal piano music overlaying, you know, some meditative voice. Now it's just people hovering around a microphone and trying to <laughs> use that microphone for whatever is on their mind. Um, mm. Anyway, so yes, solace for tired feet, episode. Seven episode. So seven. I'm going to throw something at you here. It's nothing profound, but just an interesting observation. Sure. Overall, none of the teenager storyline stuff is great or stands out in a real profound way in the greater context of the show. But I really do love the inventiveness that they execute on the concept of the sudden departure. Mm. And what I mean by that is the prank, which is morbid, but the the refrigerator prank that happens, yeah, of course, you know, yes. not prank is the wrong way, but the sort of challenge, the truth or dare type of game they play, which is rooted in, they got some kid to go into it. Yeah, October thirteenth happens. Is it fourteenth? It's the fourteenth, but yeah, fourteenth, mm-hmm. October fourteenth happens, and he he departs yeah. within it, and yeah. so it becomes this weird totem of sort of cosmic influence for these kids which so i just really love that as aspect a of it. as a concept so we obviously have uh, a certain sort of faith-based background in which conversations around the event known as the rapture all all varieties of conversations have taken place about it i'm not interested in the moment at those the concept of just a vanishing is a powerful concept and i feel like lindelof and parada are creative and inventive enough to really explore all of the different, maybe not every single facet, but there, I mean, there is so much baked into simply the occurrence of a vanishing that I feel Mm -hmm. like they capitalize on in some really profound ways, um, in some really inventive ways, like, like visualizing a pranked kid getting stuck in a refrigerator and they open it up and he's gone. He's not there. I mean, like, uh, again, it's just, it's really powerful. The show has, uh, I touched on a little bit last week, the show has, you know, sort of tapped into 
moments like the missing bagel and Nora Durst's missing credentials and just all of these missing things uh, that I think the show really does a great job of being creative and inventive in the way it plays around with those metaphors. And um, so, yeah, I, I find that really compelling, deeply compelling, actually. Um, this episode for me kind of, uh, even though last week I said six, seven, eight, it's more cause as I watched them all in quick succession, but is, uh, forgettable is the wrong word because there's a great run with Scott Glenn at the end. But other than that, I did like the dramatic turn of Tom discovering the other, the, yes. the, the, oh, do- yes. the doppelgangers of he and Christine. Like that's, that's Absolutely. a really, yes. You don't even have to give a ton of screen time to it just to kind of place it there and turn the, you know, turn the show on its head a little bit or turn their, those characters journeys on their head a little bit. So that was really great. Honestly, I have, so this is an episode I had mentioned last week that I'm fonder of episode six guest, which is like a benchmark Mm -hmm. of this season. And the episode we're going to be talking about after this is also really powerful and affecting this episode seven. I wrote down two things. And the only things I wrote down were exactly what you just mentioned. I think that narrative pivot is really strong, and they do some some cool things with it in the moment. It's it's energizing. And I like Scott Glenn. I even like Scott Glenn's character. I feel like this piece of the story so far has gone nowhere. It has created a couple of nice interactions, but I didn't have a lot this time around to really hang my thoughts on in terms of, what exactly he's playing with. Scott Glenn is giving an amazing performance and he's committing wholeheartedly. I love the way he interplays with these voices that he hears in his head. But I think I was expecting, even this time around, having already seen the show, I think I was expecting a little bit more out of this episode because he shows up, rescues Jill from the refrigerator bit. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. We're going to start getting into his character a little bit. But then even when we get into his character a little bit, I feel like this episode sort of leaves a lot on the table in a way that, uh, that, that I found it difficult to sort of connect to this one. Six, in the same way that episode four kind of left me a little hollow following how powerful episode three is, I wondered if episode seven left me a bit the same given how much I love episode six. Maybe that's not a fair comparison, but that that's what I'm feeling. Well, you know, these premium style shows, and by these, I mean things like this, even like a Watchmen, which is also Lindelof, but even thinking things like Game of Thrones, develop, for whatever reason, this pattern of like big, important episode in terms of maybe mythology or events that kind of have a, a decrescendo afterwards. Um, so, so maybe, maybe I mean, that's pure speculation, but maybe that's something that's happening there, but also something I wonder about where I, I haven't read the book. So I, so I can't really speak to how much is or isn't in the original tech in the source text, but I wonder if Scott Glenn's presence in this episode specifically, cause he has a, he has a decent amount of screen time late in it. Yes. Again, speculation where the show goes, where the series goes with, uh, Kevin's relationship to Patty effectively. Yes. Uh, it's not really spoiler territory requires a lot of buy-in mm-hmm. as an audience member. Yeah. And agreed. I just wonder, I, I wonder if they knew, 
again, not knowing what's in the book. I wonder if they knew on this back half of season one, okay, this is roughly where we're going to aim if we do, if we come back. Like, who knows if they knew at that point. But this is roughly where we're going to aim, this dynamic. So we really have to cement what is kind of going on with Scott Glenn to to illustrate the inheritance of it, that same phenomena in Gosh, the actor's name just escaped me, but Kevin, um, Justin, oh, Thoreau. Justin Thoreau. Does that make sense? Like, I just wonder if they're just, they're doing some, some string pulling to try to lay some, some mythology groundwork. I don't know. So, so it, the theory makes sense. I would find it more, more easy to embrace if I did not know that by some admissions in Lindelof's interviews and stuff that that he kind of approaches every season as if he's never going to get another one and so we i know that that's part of his at least announced creative process that he does not run the three-year game he runs the one-year game and if i never get another one i want to make sure my story is told post lost yes post lost um (laughs) yeah because we know what doing the long game did for him on twitter and everything so um so it's one of those things where knowing that about his creative process now and also knowing about some of where season two and three go, I think it's probably more likely. And again, this is all speculation. Yours is speculation and no more or less likely than mine. Um, I feel that it's, it, for, in my mind, it's, it's perhaps that he knew in developing season two and then ultimately in developing season three. Cause spoiler alert, if you've never watched the show, the, the father of Kevin Garvey, um, becomes a very big player in season three like thematically and as a character and everything like his journey is substantiated a lot more and um and so i feel like that probably grew out of them utilizing what was already on the table rather than them playing with the notes right now i cannot remember the father character from the book well enough to know how much of this is substantiated i know Kevin Garvey's character had a father who went crazy. I remember that much about the novel. But I seem to recall that in the novel, he was he was not the chief of police. He was the mayor or something. He was like a high political official or something. And so uh, that, that piece is just kind of unknown to me. That having been said, I think Scott Glenn's performance compensates from w- for what I would ding as narrative deficiencies in an episode like this. Scott Glenn is electric to watch. Like he's a really... Uh, He's just an engaging performer, and in in this, more so than in other things I've seen him in, I like him as an actor, but I think he's mm-hmm. particularly strong in this in a way that I think is um, makes it sort of worth hanging on to, but uh, I just can't get around some of what I would consider it to be narrative deficiencies uh, on, on this part. And like I said... Those are the only two things that as I was watching it, um, you know, I, I wrote down again, uh, I, I've never been, I've been very vocal about the fact that I don't like the Holy Wayne stuff, but I, I do like that plot wrinkle that Tom is not a unique uh, character in, in his situation. Um, and I like Scott Glenn's performance enough and some of the interior moments of that to give it some credibility. But beyond that, I don't, I, 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 this is not an episode I'm, I'm very, uh, Sure. Endeared to just in general. Um, Which is clear. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Speaking of I'm just episodes saying. we're endeared to. So, <laughs> Riri, I've got like, geez Louise, uh, a normal fear. I've got episodes worth of notes on this episode. But can we start from the end? 
Yeah, let's do that. And we're and talking about of, episode eight now, not episode yes. seven. But yes, we're talking about episode eight. Cairo, New York, where Cairo, Kevin, New York. Cairo, New York. Um, potato, potato. <laughs> uh, would spend summers or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote the last 10 minutes of this episode is Shakespeare. Like it is mm-hmm. otherworldly. The I'm always so fascinated with uh, the craft. You know, we did a whole episode last year on, on, on writing King's memoir of the craft. And you look at the things that they choose to make happen. The, the, the narrative things, the beats that have to happen in this episode, mm. which culminates in the death of Patty, oh. but not just the death of Patty, the suicide of Patty. Yes. And, yes. and you work backwards and the scripting magic that has to happen for me as the viewer to not feel like you to, to, um, say you earned that. Does that make sense at all? Like, in other words, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't just, you can't just jump into these sorts of narrative beats. Like, the character progressions have to make some sense for these, at least in this episode, how it ends, wild choices to be made. Yeah, of course. And I just am always so impressed with the craftsmanship that goes into writing characters. It reminds me of, and I referenced this on our Stephen King shorts conversations i even think you went and found it the one about the, the women driving the van to the theme park or whatever yes is making sense? herman woke is still alive yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. and the family and they end up killing themselves and their kids in the back yeah by driving off the road yeah. and and this weird thing that happened in the reading of that which was i i understand why these characters have chosen this and right. that's a really skillful thing to pull off sure absolutely. and so in an episode like uh, this one, when it gets there, you're like, bravo. I mean, yeah, that is absolutely. in performance and in writing, just masterful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I feel like it's a, a I mean, you've sung the praises of Ann Dowd before as, <laughs> as, as frequently. It. Yes, absolutely. As frequently as she plays characters, you kind of love to hate. She is an absolutely incredible performer. It's stunning what she's able to pull off in both subtle and overt ways. Um, and that, I mean, I can't even in a conversation like this unpack some of what they discuss because it has to be sort of experienced in that stream. So the premise of episode eight, if you, if you're trying to keep up and, and, and kind of waiting or still listening to this segment before you actually watch it, the premise of episode eight is the character of Patty, who is the, the head of this local chapter of the guilty remnant and has been, uh, they've had a frustrating, she and Kevin have had a frustrating sort of dynamic of interaction because she causes him a lot of grief and of frustration. But then, uh, she reached out to him for help when their member Gladys was brutally murdered. And so they've had this, this sort of, irritating dynamic well the premise would have the premise of this episode would have you believe that kevin garvey blacked out elicited the help of his friend can you call him friend i don't know this this guy who hunts dogs and and has no name and is just like a spectral figure in kevin's life so um but real but real a real person yeah um and so uh presumably kevin blacked out enlisted his help to kidnap patty tie her up in a cabin off in cairo where uh they have they are holding her and when they're holding her there 
He says he's going to, you know, like they dance back and forth with whether or not they're going to let her go, whether they're going to kill her, whether, you know, all of these crazy things. And the last like 10, 15 minutes of the episode, she's having this real existential and very thought provoking conversation with him about a variety of different things. And it kind of culminates in him cutting her loose and saying that he's going to let her go and he's going to admit to what he's done. And it's at that point that he lets her go, that she decides to end her life. And like you said, they had to emotionally and narratively, they had to earn that. And I feel like the episode fully does um, in a very complex way that you kind of have to endure and experience to really understand how they've, how they've done it. I had forgotten that she killed herself. I knew that she eventually died because of where I know, because <laughs> I guess mild spoiler alert, she does not leave the show. She dies, but she does not leave the show. And because of where I knew she would again appear and how I knew she would begin appear again, appear, um, I knew that she died, but I could not remember in this moment that she took her own life until it actually well, happened. And that and the revelation that they staged Gladys's death. Yes. Or that not they staged it as in it's fake, but then they did it. That they killed her. Yes. Which is, ugh. And it adds some new weight to that brutal moment because she's clearly in on it, but somehow loses her nerve at the end because she the guilty remnant one of their biggest aspects is that they're not supposed to speak that having been said for a cult leader for a leader of a cult who are devoted to silence uh and dad has a lot of lines <laughs> in several episodes at this point um but she she talks all throughout this episode but uh yeah she uh, uh gladys as she was being murdered you know begged them to stop uh which is again adds to the brutality of it but finding out that she that they staged that death or that they you know sort of ordered that death and that now it's rooted in patty's own sort of self-chosen martyrdom and suicide it's it's really affecting it sounds uh probably very grim and a bit like why in the world would i watch a show like that but when you when you hear this dialogue and you hear some of the concepts that they're playing with it's it's incredible and it's really incredible and, you know, I feel like this episode and this scene specifically, or or rather the collection of scenes between Kevin and Patty really shore up why this was a valuable conversation for you and I to have on the show. Yes. And so far as the things we're trying to talk about and I, I, while it was happening was typing basically her final monologue when mm. he accuses her of still, like, like, why won't you let this go? The, the, the sudden departure. And yes. And she says, I think about it every waking moment. What else is there to think about? Yeah. It doesn't matter what happened because he ch- kind of challenges. Do you know where they went? Do, what happened? What do you know? Right. She says, it doesn't matter. The difference between you and me is I accept that it did while you push it aside and ignore it. We strip ourselves of everything that distracts us from it. That keeps us from remembering we strip away attachment and fear and love and hatred and anger until we are erased a blank slate. We are living reminders of what you tried desperately to forget. And we are ready and waiting. <laughs> yeah. It's man. Yeah. It's intense. It yeah, is intense. And intense. the two of them are, that's just a l- electric scene. Uh, it really this, is. Yeah. Otherwise this episode's riddled with a lot of thematic stuff that, you know, we can touch on or not. Um, I, I don't know if you caught this it's memorial day that they're prepping for and 
this oh, episode airs not. the week after Memorial Day. Wow, I did not catch that. We should have we should have worked that out a little differently. But I it's didn't. All good. Wow, wow. Now, I don't mean this to be a dumb question, but a couple of weeks ago, you said you couldn't recall what the GR's plot was. Or, I mean, has it resurfaced to you what's about to happen? Not the specifics, but the generalities have. Like because of that moment where they unload the truck of, right. of the bodies. The um, ones, yes. Right. So um, I I remember something about I I think part of their intention and again the details are foggy. I watched this show once a few years ago, and now I'm catching up with it, and I'm not skipping ahead for you know context or whatever. But I seem to remember somebody saying something like when when whatever their plot is is divulged i seem to remember somebody from the guilty remnant like writing down like we made them remember or you know something like it's kind of throwing grief in people's faces but i don't know exactly the specifics uh-huh. of exactly what they're what they're playing with but i think it's uh obviously it involves that company that makes you know uh bodies of uh, people from photographs and stuff that they've stolen, but I don't remember what their end game is, or at least what their what the specifics of their details are. But we'll find out next we episode. We don't rush to end game read. Nope, we don't. We don't. Um, and I and I would say the compulsion is strong to want to sort of dig into some of those kinds of things. Um, I would encourage that we that we hold some of that. Because this is meant to just be a sort of a let's sure, yeah, follow yeah, the I plots. Know. I was just um, making sure I wasn't ignoring anything that I really wanted to talk about that wasn't theme. Yeah. Um, but next week, we will be having a full conversation about season one of The Leftovers. We'll be covering episodes nine and ten in their specifics and then having a full thematic. That will be the substance of next week. It will be an episode on season one of The Leftovers and all of its um narrative and thematic glory. I think the only thing for me that we've missed mentioning here that I do think is pretty significant is obviously Jill's personal journey, um, you know, sort of confronting Nora about the gun, finding that coming up hollow, that brutal exchange she has with her friend on the grass. Oh, gosh, that's uh, terrible. Brutal exchange. And then breaking into Nora's house, finding the gun, then giving up the search only to find her way uh on the doorsteps of the guilty remnant asking if she can stay. Um, it's there's a lot. What do you of mean giving up the search? The search was for the gun. Yeah, but I felt, and maybe you read it differently. I felt that she was wanting to find the gun so she could do something about that, throw it in Nora's face, confront her with it or something like that. Um, I but, think to me, and this is, this is symptomatic stuff. I'm trying to hold off at the moment, but to me, my understanding of that is, it's less about anything that happens in light of the gun and whether the gun is still in Norris possession because oh, I at see. all. Okay. Got and, it. Yeah. And you know, because this question hangs heavy over this episode and over the series, can we be okay? Yes. Can okay. after Understood. trauma, yeah. you be made okay. And to Jill, she sees post Wayne hug Nora mm-hmm. and doesn't buy it. Although, yes. uh, you know, we, I think, Nora is truthfully on a better path at this moment than she was pre Wayne. So I I do think it's real and not false, but Jill and, and I think a lot about, uh, even though I don't love later parts of the series, but in game of Thrones, when Tyrion, maybe the first time he has scenes with Daenerys and 
owns up to his cynicism and says a cynic is just someone looking for something to believe in. Right. Right. And I think about that with Jill, like she's desperate to believe you can be okay in this Mm, world. mm, And so mm. the absent, if Nora has, has divested herself of this gun is a signal to her. Okay. Something can be corrected and made whole. And, and so that's why finding it shatters that illusion for her and why she, to me ends up at the GR, which is, we can't be okay. We're not going to be okay. I like, and will henceforth adopt your reading of that, of that <laughs> moment. Cause I think, cause I think it's substantive. I think I, I, I agree with it. There's just too many narrative threads that, that, that reading of it makes sense. So, um, so yeah, I, I agree. So, uh, if that's okay with you, I think that brings us to another, uh, moment of, <clears throat> well, ladies and gentlemen, it has been found. It has been sought for. It was missing, but now we know where it is. And uh, I'm not quite sure what it is, but it's there. And uh, we we just talked about it. It's in The Leftovers, Season 1, Episodes 7 and 8, on this installment of Hashtag TV Guideposts. Uh, join us next week for not only coverage of Episodes 9 and 10, but a full conversation about all of the thematic complexities of season one of HBO's The Leftovers. So, um, okay, bye-bye now. Talk to you then. Okay, bye. See ya. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're going to need the audience to do that one too for us. (laughs) No, that one's too fun. It's too up the moment. (laughs) So, there we are. Nathan. Read Nathan. what lies in the shadow of the statue. Nathan. Oh, good call there. Oh man. Um. So I had seen this movie. Before. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just do it. I, let's just. I'd seen drop it. a missile through the roof. I'd seen it. Oh man. There's a grenade in a backpack. And, and there's then a there's missile a missile through the roof. roof. <laughs> 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 That's um, a whole new metaphor. No kidding. Um. So I had. Yeah, I had seen this film before. I watched it. Pretty tangential, I think, to its release, and I feel like it was funny because we've we've been tap dancing around this for a while where I've been like, I'm trying my best to kind of hold back some of my feelings on films so that I don't pivot you too much because I still Remind feel- Remind me. Well, I'm going to in- interrupt you here because okay. this is ex- conversation time. Can you point to, and I'm asking legitimately because I can't recall, can you point to ones where you inadvertently overhyped me that you re- remember? Or that you kind of signal, then it, it led to a more dampened response from me? Um, to be honest, I can't remember specifics. I feel like, in general, that has been the case. Uh, mo- most recently, I feel like, you know, not just my overhype, but I think the general awareness and overhype of Stir of Echoes probably mm-hmm. dampened your uh, ability to, to view that film as a surprise and as an unexpected delight. But, um, no, I think it's just more a sensibility that I know if I, if I over prep you for like, Hey, be ready. This one's super scary. Then you go in and you're like, Oh, this is not as scary as I was expecting. It's like stir of echoes. You just kept the bacon in too long. It burned. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I like, I like that was a really (laughs) clever response Mm -hmm. or non response. Yes. Carry on. So, but, uh, but I remember when I saw this film and good Lord, I cannot remember. I believe if memory serves me correctly, I was trying when we were ramping up for hashtag speaking in tongues under the shadow was on my mind. Cause I had seen it. 
and and I knew what a powerful and affecting film I thought it was. And I can't remember exactly why it didn't quite make the cut on the, our, our installments of Hashtag Speaking in Tongues. Uh, might have been something related to uh, just some similar regions or, or something. I can't remember exactly why we made some determinations not to do it this time, that time around. So when the opportunity came again with like hauntings and remnant and, and all this other kinds of, and Greece and grief and loss, <laughs> not Greece and loff. Um, you got bacon on the brain. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, but um, this time around, I thought, no, I think now's a good time to dive in on it. And I actively sort of like, A, I hadn't seen it since its release. And then B, I didn't want to to amp up my memory for it, only to go in and be like, oh yeah, this is this is good. This is fine. So when I rewatched it again, which was a few nights ago, when I rewatched it again and I was sitting there through the whole last half hour of the movie, like struggling to breathe. And I was sitting here like, oh my God, I forgot how freaky this movie is and i forgot how absolutely terrifying this movie is and so i was like okay i'm probably just being a wuss i'm scared of piles of clothes i don't i don't know what to do with <laughs> with my life you know like so i'm probably just being a wuss and 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 i'm not gonna do anything so when i started getting your reactions to watching this movie it delighted my heart so 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 much um it did you- something to my heart but uh <laughs> What'd you think of this movie, Nathan? What'd you think? Oh, shit, man. (laughs) Um, yeah, it, it, uh, (laughs) darn MPAA. So I went to start this and it was like (laughs) PG 13, you know, (laughs) I've been doing this three years. I can handle the hard stuff. (laughs) 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 I was like, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. movie man well and it's so funny because like foreign language films for what we do so i was excited by oh it's an hour 20 sweet but foreign (laughs) language films for what we do and how i consume them end up taking like an extra 50 percent worth of time because i'll pause it and take notes and stuff because i don't want to miss the actual dialogue right 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 right. so i was just engaging a lot so the point being my defenses got real low (laughs) i mean like because I was just trying to turn it on. I'm like, just, you know, trying to get my head in the world and five minutes in, I'm going to pause and write down an observation. So it just starts threading out the, the whole experience. Yes. So that, you know, then by the end, I'm just like flipping and flopping, just, just (laughs) unable to just, I was so, low by the time not low down sad but just like so defenseless relax because yes yeah yes relax i was <laughs> relaxed and that is a terrible place to be when because, the junk starts happening because i feel like this film is an hour and it's an hour and 24 minutes long and that you know taking account for some credits really? you, you had to do that you just no, like but what, that's what an I'm hour sa- 20 and you're like but hour that's 24. what i'm saying like, it's like on. no i'm making a very specific point here because i feel like <laughs> for nearly an for nearly an hour of the movie not much scary happens it's interesting it's not boring but I feel like it's more sort of character-based and more sort of developing a sure. mystery and, and yes. developing an atmosphere and something. But it 
goes so the premise of this film is there's a woman and her daughter and her husband that live in war-torn tehran in the 1980s and she um, has had a pretty devastating blow to her personal dreams in that because she was politically active in the early days of her uh, college career um, she is no longer permitted at university where she can study to be a doctor which is what she dreams of being um so you're kind of given and her that husband is also a very accomplished yeah, exactly um and so you're given that in the beginning so then the husband is called basically into the war effort i'm presuming as a medic but he's yeah. called into the war effort and so when he's called in there she and her daughter are left alone well, there are these bombings and raids. I mean, the, the opening scroll, text scroll of the film identifies that, like, fear and anxiety were everywhere because there were these bombings and raids in, in Tehran at this time. So then one by one, and this is, this is what you kind of are getting relaxed into. There's lots of character moments and lots of cool, there's a couple of little, like, oh, that's jarring, uh, that we can maybe talk about in a moment, but, it lulls you in with this sense of, oh, this is just a character based thing. There's probably a mystery at its center, whatever. By the time you reach the last 20 minutes of the movie, maybe 25, the situation is she and her daughter are the only people left in this building because everybody else has chosen to leave so that the bombs don't like destroy them. So everybody else has chosen to leave. It's just them in this building. And the film ratchets up to such an alarming degree of tension that to your point, you've been sort of disarmed. Lulled. Yes. You've been disarmed by, and it goes so intense in those last 20 to 25 minutes. I mean, it How is, intense, Reed? It goes so intense. Like, I mean, like, man. This picture in my face. The, the, video, the, the videos that you sent me and your, the look on your face and your full body reactions to what oh. you were experiencing were just, I mean, it was a perfect encapsulation of exactly what this film will do to you. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. is We're going to sit here and hype. Well, and also because... um. There was a film this came up on recently, and I can't remember what it was, but talking about kind of uh, limited resources breeding innovation. Yes, of course. Yes. My a, a criticism I had of last week's film, Stir of Echoes, is it feels overproduced to me. There's just sure. too much sure. happening visually that, like, it is telling you this is a mystery ghost story movie. Like, yes. Just right. from almost frame one. Well, from frame one. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. This part of the lulling effect is it's so naturalistic. It, mm. There is nothing. There is nothing to signal to you anything askew until it is super late. Yeah. And even then there's pretty limited uh, visual effects. It's all, it's not all, but probably about 80% of the actual stuff that really alarms you is all in camera stuff. It's not yes. post work. Yes. Yeah, and it's um, uh, and it, it it's in many ways evocative. You do see some things. Like it's not that they're making impressions of things. You see things more than you want to see. But uh, it is it is difficult for me. Like it would be really easy for me to sit here and pitch to all of our listeners. Oh my gosh, this movie is so scary. Be warned. This movie is terrifying. And then them spend the first 30 minutes going, what in the world is so scary about this movie? Like, or even. Fear you know, God done jump the shark. Right. Or 40 minutes in. But I feel like, yeah, I feel like just sort of if you experience those last 20 to 25 minutes, like I can remember watching it and thinking, as I often do, like, is this a film that could make the list of movies that maybe my wife could watch with me 
on some, you know, Halloween or something. But then when I got into those last 20 minutes, I was like, oh, my God, no, no, I can't. My I wife can't. heard me and came upstairs to check on me because <laughs> I, I, I got so loud at one point. Oh, because oh I, when I got these things on, I can't hear myself that well. Yes. And I knew. So listeners read and I use one of these social media apps to send, you know, little talky videos to each other. And in the moment, because I was so relaxed and yeah. unready, I needed comfort. And just the thought of you receiving my energy was at least some mild comfort because oh. I was so just like cut loose. It was like <laughs> I was I was I was tethered to a reality, which was me just watching this naturalistic, hmm, really thoughtful piece about a mom and her daughter in war torn Tehran and about their ability or not to engage things like, OK, well, maybe this is just kind of what the movie is. It's more suggestive than actual literal right, sort of stuff. Right, right. And so then I'm just like, just nope. See you, Nathan. I just float off into the air <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, Reed. So I send a sequence of videos, which will probably make part of the, you know, kind of advertising for this pod episode. But at some point yes. in one of them, I I loudly kind of exclaimed a thing. And right when I did, I was like, I, I think I was probably too loud, but I, I can't really tell anything anymore. <laughs> I've got a, so, so, so listeners, listeners, just check this out because this is, this is part of the audio that, 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 <laughs> <laughs> like that's the first, that's the second video. <laughs> You're crying out for Jesus. <laughs> I was. <laughs> like, that one even so short. Oh my gosh. Um, so uh, yes. So yeah, anyway, um I will say um the film kind of had some Babadook energy going on. You I know, know if you felt that I vibe. Did, no, I totally did. I mean, there are some com- there are some similarities in just the fact of isolated mother and child, admittedly yeah. in Babadook it's a son, but um right. th- there there are remnants of that. Um and remnant. <laughs> um but I also I I I just find the the film does an exceptional job of layering on the threat long before it ever actually displays the threat. And what I mean by that is the moment they've been talking about this whole like possession aspect. They've been talking about like, oh, it possesses you or, it, you know, it, it steals something that's precious to you and then it possesses you. And they've been layering that on in, in ways that it doesn't even pretend or try to be scary about. So then when she hurries out because the bomb ratings have started again and they're the only ones in there. So when she hurries out and runs down the steps because she's lost sight of her daughter for literally 10 seconds. So then when they are running down the stairs and the movie begins to play with this whole did did she run away with her daughter or did she run away with some version of the monster thing? That's all been baked into the narrative in ways that it just sort of planted right. seeds for that it didn't waste its time trying to scare you then. It just planted right. the seeds for it to allow it to culminate in a moment that is alarmingly nerve wracking in, in well, that and, sequence. And uh, real quick before we because honestly, I've got like 13 scares for like two not scares. Uh, right, one, right. trivia bits wise, did you notice this? It's the director's first film. That's amazing. That's yeah, I know. amazing and infuriating. Um, yes. Uh, and congratulatory. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, so I think I, you may have said this, but to further set up the plot, um, 
the daughter has been gifted by the dad before he leaves this doll, which the Swedish chef earlier was signaling. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so she, the dad gifts her this doll, basically like this, is how you'll always have me near you. <clears throat> well, the doll goes missing early on or yes, you know, kind of a two thirds or I'm sorry, a third of the way through. Um, and so the, the, what keeps them there is this child's insistence that we find this doll. And ultimately the, the mom aligns with that mission because mm-hmm. she wants mm-hmm. to be on her side. Um, I, I, we do need, uh, for second time in two weeks, uh, to give out a bummer award read because oh, yeah, if you, as a husband, ever say to your wife, is it my fault you didn't finish your studies? Didn't you waste your time on politics at university? You deserve You deserve bummer a bummer award. award. Yeah, you deserve <laughs> you, a bummer you award. You do. That is The dad that in is this is, uh, he's frustrating to me because uh, he seems like an okay guy, seems to genuinely <laughs> care for his family, but like, man. I'm a like, so-so father. <laughs> So, so father, Mike Tyson for president. Um, (laughs) If you've never seen the Chris Rock show, that joke will go right over your head. Um, But, uh, but no, so he's, but it's like, you can't point to him directly and fault him for a ton of very deliberate things. There's just a tremendous amount of passivity and lack of sensitivity that culminate in her, appearing to us to be utterly alone and well she's but i think also what you're identifying and this came up i I wondered if this was the case what might have supplanted this during speaking in tongues was a girl walks home alone at night oh Um, yeah maybe another mid-eastern sort of horror tale and what because once I started getting so relaxed, I was like, okay, well, under the shadow, maybe it's just really kind of playing with some gender idea here and, you know, women's role in this society. Because, you know, I watch this and I think, well, the husband's a jerk. Someone from that culture might watch this and be like, well, that's kind of just how we are or how that's what it happens. is in terms of yeah, gender relationships. Right. Um, but I also think that becomes part of the text, too, which is... Yes. Mm the oppression of a thing literally and figuratively, you know, I mean Mm -hmm. that, that, that terrible scene when I'm trying to find mom's name, Shade, uh, they have a haunt, a haunting happens and she leaves the house with Dorsa, uh, the Explorsa. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) no, no, was that spontaneous or have you been waiting for that did you did you write that down i did write it down but i thought it the whole movie and then i forgot until just this moment so that so was it spontaneous was it premeditated yes both of the above the daughters is it just a doll (laughs) yes perfect um uh, the daughter's name is Dorsa, and all I was watching it, I kept thinking, Dorsa. Um, so the mom flees the house with the daughter, but in her haste, she does not put on her wrap. And yeah. when she gets picked up, they berate her. I can't remember if it's, is it law enforcement? Um, or just law enforcement catches beer? her. Yeah. No, law but enforcement they catches her. her for mm-hmm. being out of the house. And it's like, this is, this is why X, Y, and Z. I'm like, dead gum. 
Well, and um, the line, I was I might bring it up a little bit later, but the line that he says is so devastating. He says, a woman should be scared of exposing herself more than anything else. Yes. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, that's and then, horrible. I do. Ha- I do have it written down under themes. His next line is, our men are becoming martyrs to protect these values. Yes. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm sure we'll go oh, there. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, we'll go. Oh, man. We'll go away. <laughs> let's, let's let's go to the scares, Riri, because that's really all this movie. Yeah. I it mean, kind of crowds out everything else by the end. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to love about this film. We could we could really sort of uh, break into that. But uh, the toast. So- the freaking toast. That's the first note on it's my like, list. That toast. Piss off, toast. <laughs> <laughs> that joke made me jump so bad. So, so I'm awful. telling you, I was so just chilling. Just just like, all right, this is a Reed said this is a scary scary movie. Is or no, Reed, you know, this is in our we're, we're talking about it. It's PG-13, though. You it's were sitting there like, it's PG-13, whatever. And then Maybe like, it's got, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe it's got some socially relevant themes, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, yeah. no, it's got some toast. <laughs> it's got some toast for you. <sighs> oh, my gosh. Um, so the toast was literally my first, my very first note. Um, the second note is that, and, and I included it in scares, but it's also kind of a love. Um, the image, when they step into the room. And the missile is just uh-huh. resting uh-huh. on the floor of the living room, but it has come down through the roof. That gave me chills. Like, just the visual image is so arresting, and it is completely, it it, it just pushes you back um, because you see their reaction to it. They walk in, they're shocked, and then suddenly you look, and it's it's an expansive, massive thing just sitting in the middle. And you know it could explode I'm just reading moment. these notes and getting freaked out, Reed. I'm going to be real honest with you. It's yes, indeed. Indeed. Um, yes. The so, yeah, there's that. The toast. I mean, the <laughs> toast in this movie is scary, Reed. It is. No, it's true. It's true. Um, um you know, the, like you could rank these. So the, um, <laughs> oh, I have the, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, I'm going to skip this one to go to what is the first real, uh, yeah, the, the, that one hadn't happened yet. The Uh, first real, like, oh my God (laughs) is the ghost husband in the bed. Dude, dude, that, (laughs) I was laying in my bed watching this movie. I was like, oh, oh. I was like, no, <laughs> mama, no, uh-uh. I'm not. Mama, I better not come up and take uh-uh. on me. Uh-uh. She, I, I throw, throw her ass <laughs> out of here. <laughs> Women, no. <laughs> mama, be damned. <laughs> I accept my award. Oh, my God. Get out. No. Yeah, man. Man. That was terrible. Oh, it's awful. All right. <sighs> so and then we, we, I think we listed all the same scares because that was the next on my list. And then the next one is like, oh, that, well, for me, the next one was the naked man. Like, just like, oh, they wake up. No, and, no, no. Before that. Before that. What happened before that? Is the arm in the window. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, I mean, can't believe I didn't write that. I, oh, my God. It's been oh. like, I don't know. 35 years since I pooped in a bed, but it happened last night. 
know how old you are, and that took you a while. <laughs> no, I was like, that was pretty recent. <laughs> Don't tell that one. That's that was the train of thought that happened. Mm, Don't mm, tell mm. the most recent one. Skip to the one before it was thirty five years ago. This, oh man! I tell you, I tell you what. That's, that arm through that window. Yeah, I know. I so that happens the movie too. Yes. And then she's looking through it, and the the flutter happens, and oh yeah, she's got hair on my face. <laughs> Freaking uh-uh. yourself out. Yeah. Um. Oh my god. Yeah. That was no. That was terrible. That was absolutely terrible. And then like that's when things like start to ratchet up a little bit, and and then you know like most of the no, people it started in, with the toast. Well, it did, but but like by that by that point, most of the people in the apartment complex have left. Like a lot of her friends are just sort of like they've drifted off to go out of the city so that they're not subject to the assault of these bombings, these random <sighs> bombings that happen. And so then, her and her daughter, because they're sleeping in the same bed now, because her husband is off in the war, and her and her daughter wake up and they see like a man at the at the foot of the bed. That's enough. Like the the naked man standing at the foot of the bed is enough. But then they get out. She she gets out. She like runs after him, and when she gets out and runs after him, that fool is escaping up through the ceiling in the crack that the missile created. And I'm like, oh my god, what am I watching? Well, but again, it it's the execution. It's not the yeah, act. Right, like, right. It's I would I would wager a lot of even that moment is in camera stuff. Like yes. yeah, I'm sure oh, there's yeah, probably a little bit of yeah. visual effects going on there, but. <laughs> It's just like, oh, was that a naked old man running down the hall? Oh, my God. Oh, what? Oh, my God. He's like crawling through this room. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Hold me, oh. Reed. Oh. Okay. Um. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the next moment that I I'll have. my bummer award. <clears throat> <laughs> so the next moment that I have is when she steps out into the stairwell. Tell it, Reed. And the door is open. She steps out on the stairwell. Nathan, when I was watching this movie, you can't make this up. And, and people are going to think I'm making it up. I know. That's the problem. Is I'm going to tell this story. And people are like, you're just tired. You're just saying that. No, no, no. I'm watching this movie. I'm sitting there. And you've made fun of me for two weeks in a row about being afraid of piles of clothes. And I'm sitting there watching this movie. And when I'm sitting there watching this movie, and then this poor woman runs up in the stairwell. And then when she turns around from uh-huh. the stairwell, in a flash, there is this cloaked sheet thing. thing yeah like a big sort of sheet that darts in to their apartment real quick and the door slams behind it and it's very alarming it's very jarring and that would be scary in and of itself you took a sheet that was <laughs> <laughs> because then after that moment happens like seconds later nathan a jacket from the coat rack beside me like falls off of its hinge like completely it's random. like it's like life becomes art becomes life becomes and I was art say, becomes and, life. And I had to pause the movie and I had to walk around for a minute and I had to turn on some lights and I had to be like, I you don't know. You gotta go maybe, change your drawers. Maybe I had to, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is not the moment for me to do this. Maybe I need to just reconstruct the rest of this film from memory because I cannot, I cannot continue to tolerate this. It was one of those like, I mean, you were talking about hashtag poop club, like, oh my God. Yeah, it was, uh. Ed, this movie reset the poop club bar. <laughs> like, if you, listener, viewer, if you had previously been admitted to Poop Club through our, you know, mail away service, the scratch and sniff. <laughs> no. Oh. oh my god. <laughs> the mail away scratch and sniff surface. Oh my god. <laughs> if that's how you got in previously. 
We've got to redo it. It's a whole new club. It's a whole new club. After Under the Shadow. Under the Shadow. Good night. Oh, my God. That was so funny. Um, <laughs> um, oh, my God. Okay. I mean, Keep I had together, to... Uh, while we're here, we'll go... Uh, read. Man, friggin' teeth guy. Oh, oh, my God. Because, see, but, that, but that's the thing is that it's it's all of a piece because that's the thing is like she gets freaked out by the gin thing and then she runs out of the apartment. They're trying to escape because they're going to leave. They're finally going to leave. The bombings are happening. They're finally getting out of there. She's trying to leave. She's hurrying. And then she goes into her bedroom while her daughter is in her daughter's bedroom. And they are away for like 10 seconds from each other. And so then when she runs down the hall, and I already knew, like when she runs down the hall, they did one and I need to rewind the moment to confirm this. Maybe my imagination was playing tricks on me. But I feel like when the daughter comes out of the room, the daughter is putting on her jacket. And underneath the jacket, I feel like there is the slightest flutter of an image of that sheet that was on the apparition that we've seen before. Yeah. And maybe my imagination was playing tricks with me. Maybe it was a, an intentional sort of seed planting on the filmmaker's part. I would need to go back and rewatch the moment specifically, but I feel like there's just this impression of that sheet underneath the jacket that the daughter's putting on, which is just enough to pivot you into, oh no, has the gin traded places with her and is the mom running, uh, potentially escaping with the gin as opposed to escaping with the daughter? Well, sure enough, they get down into the basement and she begins to hear her daughter screaming and crying out for her upstairs. Well, what's funny about you, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's funny about you saying that is initially I wondered, was it the mute kid got left behind and all of a sudden was breaking his silence? Oh, so it oh, took me a second. Huh. And when she says, I hear you or I hear oh, her, oh. I was like, oh, God. Well, and then she turns the flashlight on the daughter, and the daughter looks away for a second mm-hmm. and won't show her face. So it only further in it like entrenches. Well, I think what, and I think too. I, <laughs> um, I think why that moment is so well done is the mom is in the foreground, and the daughter behind her is obscured enough yes. visually oh. from us. So you flashlight or face. not, mm-hmm. we can't tell for certain what is what is back there no absolutely and it's nerve-wracking because then this mom has to make this dreadful decision is she you know and and you're pretty i was pretty convinced i'm like okay well clearly she's left her daughter behind and this is the gen and she needs to get back up there and rescue her daughter so then she does she leaves the the uh, being that she's with down in the basement she runs back up she is frantically searching for her daughter her daughter's crying out for her her daughter is under the bed being pulled by something and so she reaches in under the bed to rescue no it ain't right because she reaches in under the bed to rescue her daughter and then when she pulls on its hand that's when not only does it reveal that like no this has been the deception the whole time but the Jen's face is revealed and it's like a huge mouth with gigantic teeth that is super freaky and and oh my gosh so yes scary the whole the whole last half hour of this movie is so dang tense y'all like it's just it's just completely nightmarish and oh my god well and what i love about that moment so much that plays on the themes that's been building is this mom who is wrestling with her own relationship to her child um and there there's at least once previous to that basement separation maybe more than once where the mom intentionally separates herself from the daughter to go do something else to go assist mm. others who are in need. And so the mom in that moment is acting on these thematic threads that have started to build accumulate, um, which is, I actually think 
I left her and I need to go get her. In other words, you see what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Whereas knowing it's the real daughter there, she's thinking, why are you just once more separating from me? Mm -hmm. And what she goes and almost gets. Oh my gosh. It's, Um, yeah, it's brutal. Well, I mentioned on the changeling two weeks ago, how after that I was like, you know, bolting up the stairs and stuff. (laughs) Fortunately, because this movie isn't that long, my wife was still up when it was over, but she was downstairs. I mean, I was so keyed up for like half an hour. Oh, I believe it. I just it. had to like pace downstairs. Yeah, I believe it. Was just it. Like, I can't. I can't. I just ate. I pulled a <laughs> Rooney Mara and a ghost story and just, just like ate. I just sat on the floor and just ate all the things. Oh my God. <laughs> I was so traumatized. <laughs> It's a it's a really it's a really alarming movie. And to be honest with you, like I, I, I don't I don't think Might this is the case. Too. Um like I feel like even knowing every beat that's coming, it's hard to disassociate yourself. If you've if you've paid attention in this la- you know, in the film, if you've sort of bought in on the film, that that last 20 25 minutes will just put you through the ringer. It's it it's but I think that's what's so amazing about the film is that the film is patient in dealing with like establishing its parameters, establishing its characters, setting the stage, setting the atmosphere without uh you know toast popping up aside uh without really wasting cheap scares early like there is very little scary about There's nothing the, yeah about that first hour so then when everything gets scary it gets super super scary and uh, yeah so it's like they turned it up to 11 they turned it up to 11 um so there is uh, I don't know if you had. I'm going to d- defer to you, or at least pivot. Like, did you did you have some specific things thematically that you wanted to dive in on or or, or touch on? I have I, I have a couple of ideas, but I I don't want to don't want to dominate the conversation. <laughs> That's a first. Hey now, yeah, uh, um, one kind of main. I did a poor job of this, but I was trying in my brain today to thread a little bit of this first phase of remnant. And so a ghost story, changeling stir of echoes now under the shadow and this idea of this idea of place. And I went into this a little bit on stir of echoes, how a ghost story is about our connectedness, our attachment to geographic place, mm-hmm. um, changeling and stir of echoes, having a relevance to place in terms of station and status. And I was trying to figure out, okay, what, what, how does under the shadow do this? And if it did it at all. And I really, I'm hoping this triggers some response in you in terms of just inciting some conversation here, because I got real energized and I, but I don't have a ton of meat on the bones here. Mm. So it stood out to me that in under the shadow versus, okay. So in a ghost story, we're aware of who this ghost is and are given some sort of insight into their desire, motivation, conscious choice, right? Like we're, we're, right, we're, right. we're given insight into what's going on sort of uh, emotionally, if you will, psychologically, if you will, in that character. Then in the changeling and stir of echoes, while our perspective character is now the living, we are still given 
backstory to the ghosts that are haunting mm-hmm. those stories. And so it really stood out to me that other than just sort of, I, they sort of nod to this and, or maybe give a lot of, you know, kind of viability to it. I was, I was just flipping and flopping in bed. I was hard for me to <laughs> keep up, but, um, we're not given really anything. The, 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 the specters, the entities doing the haunting in this film aren't personaed. They just right. are ill intent. Um, is that a, what is that? Oh, that's daredevil. I thought I was breaking bad for a minute when, when Kingpin says, I am the ill intent, whatever. No. <laughs> uh, brains all over the place. So the specters doing the haunting in, uh, under the shadow are not given persona and, and characterization. That's a good way to look at it. So in this notion of place, I was like, okay, well, how does this work? And man, I was just really arrested by the idea of, because what is what is the what is the backdrop of this movie? It is war and conflict, and something that I landed on that really just kind of took my breath away was, what does it look like when instead of a specter haunting a physical geography, we the living terrorize and haunt the land itself, mm. the place itself, mm. when the land itself responds. Does this make sense at all? Like, I'm, I mean, I'm tracking so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it just really jumped out at me because, because this thing is not given motivation. So then what is the source point? It's, it's our, it's in the film, their aggression violence towards each other and towards the land itself. I mean, he, the husband says it like the the rumors are, they're going to, you know, kind of burn it to the ground Mm. and, and that Mm. starts to kind of take shape and just, I don't know. I was just really kind of thrown arrested by, and, and maybe I'm not making a ton of sense on it, but the idea of instead of an essence attached to a physical location, haunting the living, what if we, the living, by our transgression are are haunting and transgressing the land itself so there's a some some of this uh does that distinction kind of seem to make some sense yes oh absolutely um there is so i'm thinking of a, a, a number of distinct things uh in quick succession i'm gonna try to uh rapid fire through them very first thing that came to mind is we referenced it a few times. It's from the novel room. Um, they recontextualize it a little bit for the film room. Um, but the concept of a, of a crater, a crater is a hole where mm. something happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the first thing that came to mind. Second thing that came to mind is uh, my, my sister happens to be a big civil war buff and, and, um, and also is just like fascinated by certain ghost stories and everything like that. And, and presumably, the battlefield of Gettysburg is one of the most haunted locations in the United States. And in it, it, because of just the Titanic nature of the conflict that took place there and all of the people that had died there, not just that they're, they're specters. If you believe in ghosts, sure. not just that their specters just sort of remain there, but just to your point, this was a big deal. 
on this land that this the that land this has land, been violated the yes land itself. That, yes yes um and and in the same way um i'm not a new yorker so i wouldn't be able to necessarily speak deliberately about this but in the same way that i would imagine certain new yorkers feel about tragedies like 9 11 mm. and and stepping foot in that space again that there has been again uh in the rooms language in rooms language a hole where something happened, you know, that there, there has been a, a scarring of that space, yeah. if you will. The other thing that it brings to mind, and I've said this in different spiritual contexts before about different subjects. There's a passage in the book of Ezekiel where that, that there's a very, very popular passage in the book of Ezekiel where Ezekiel is looking out over a valley of dry bones and the mm-hmm. Lord compels him to call the dry bones to life. And that's a, a, a powerful, a very affecting passage of scripture. Um, I have frequently been galvanized by, if my memory serves me correctly, I believe that is Ezekiel chapter 37. I believe, I don't have it in front of me, didn't fully prepare to talk about it, but Ezekiel chapter 36 has an interesting passage wherein Ezekiel is compelled by the Lord to speak to the mountains, to speak to the land. To, to, and, and, and what's interesting to me about that flow and rhythm of that story is the Valley of Dry Bones gets all the attention, but in this flow of the book of Ezekiel, the Lord asked Ezekiel to put the land on notice, not a people, not a group, asked him to put the land on notice, which I which I really found very interesting. And again, I don't have the passages pulled up, and they would be too long to, to quote verbatim anyway. So I so I do find a tremendous amount of of energy behind what you're saying is that we are frequently we, we frequently think about haunted places as in um, something that is haunted by something from the other side of things. Mm-hmm. We don't often think about the damage we do in the physical spaces we inhabit by the actions that we so um, I say carelessly, but sometimes care is really not part of the conversation right now. Um, the The actions that we wrought about on our yeah. on our place, you visited, so could speak to it much more um, directly. But you visited the the uh, memorial, and forgive me for not knowing the name. That was uh, peace and justice. Yeah, for peace. Yes, uh, uh, memorial for EGI. peace and justice. EGI. Yes, is yeah. that what it's called from EGI? Yeah. Um, and they, if memory serves, collected soil from different places, lynching sites where, uh, lynchings took place. And I just think there's a lot of consideration to be made about the fact that we ourselves as given charge over creation, given in the, the, uh, biblical account of the story of, of the garden and, and Genesis given some degree of responsibility over creation and, and, and given uh, in that text, given authority and responsibility of do well with this. You are given, this is given to you to take care of in the same way that I over my child am given a measure of authority, and I am given a measure of responsibility. Obviously, the child matures out of that at a certain point, but a baby, I'm given authority over that child. I, I, I take that child and care for it and the responsibility that's associated with that. And we don't often think of that in the context of like geographic considerations. 
The other thing that it makes me think, and I know this is just a bevy of thoughts no. that I'm just spewing out um, a lot, but the other thing that it makes me think of is the ways in which we can personalize catastrophe that may not necessarily directly in, in involve us. Like, I think about them, the, the wife and daughter, they're not engaged in this Iran-Iraq conflict. They're not engaged in that directly. Um, but it is taking place, and they consider, as these things are taking place to them, as this violation is happening, they consider that they are being hunted by something that is much more specific and much more personal. And and it makes me feel, if I can culminate these two things together, and hopefully I'm making some degree of sense as well, because it's a big subject. Um, trauma comes to the place where we are. Trauma comes to, to it, 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 it has found you. It is, it is upon you. Uh, catastrophe has interrupted your space and interrupted your flow of life. And catastrophe has come. And maybe you didn't cause it. And, uh, you know, I'm not talking about personal catastrophes that are caused by our choices and bad behaviors and, and bad decisions. But maybe a catastrophe came that, that you did not cause. And it has made this space, that building, that land, that place, it has made it so untenable and made it so um, difficult to sit in that same place that you've now personalized, which is kind of understandable because it happened to you, but you've personalized the catastrophe because of the way that it affected you, because of the specific things that it did to you. Let me not be too uh, enigmatic on this. Um, That's a good word. The way, thank you, the way that this current global pandemic has affected us, it's affecting everybody, but it's affecting each individual as well. So it's going after everything all at once, but it is also affecting people, individual, in their lives. Some people have lost jobs. Some people have lost incomes. Some people have lost loved ones. Some people have lost health. All of those things make it difficult to find consolation in the fact that it's happening everywhere else because it's also simultaneously happening to us. And there's two sort of threads trying desperately to tie it together, but like like a sheet skirting into the apartment. <laughs> they keep losing each other. Um, I feel like there's the conversation around the ways in which we, as physical, tangible beings, haunt and scar the land in which we inhabit. Uh, we haunt that. And in the same way, as that is haunted by us collectively, humanity, um, we can intensely personalize catastrophes that may or may not. I'll say it this way and then I'll stop. It's far too easy for us to view like something like this global pandemic as a deliberate attack against our own hopes and dreams. And to view it as something that is deliberately sinister trying to come and upend us causing us in many in in many cases to react in ways that will further haunt the space we inhabit instead of finding any sense of peace or freedom um and uh I don't know these these are I don't know if all of that just sort of made sense but I'm I'm thinking about this personalization I'm thinking about the ways that we scar our environments and uh, I don't know. It's 
it feels very big right now. I feel under the shadow of the conversation. <laughs> Understandably. Um, far be it for me to let a conversation go by without referencing Richard Rohr, but uh, there's an episode that you're, you're talking about conjured in my memory of uh, the episode is actually called, I think, the world, the flesh and the devil. It's, it's actually uh-huh. mm. a pretty loaded title, but actually a really amazing conversation. And so, um, so, so that's a puzzle piece. Another puzzle piece is a crater where something happened. Another puzzle piece is EJI's work with the lynching memorial. And in that podcast conversation, Roar does something really, I think valuable, which is extricate the world, i.e. creation and systems within the world that, that we have propagated Um, good, good and bad, you know, just just ways humanity operates inside of creation. Yes. Okay. Because, and the reason he's real deliberate about separating those two things is the, the scripture reference that talks about the world, the flesh and the devil will often be, uh, uh, erroneously assigned to creation itself as, mm. you know, marred, corrupt, like yeah. that the creation is so. And these are things pre, even pre my time ingesting Roar's material that I would have said, you know, that, that, uh, creation itself is, is a good, I think about Ian talking on maybe Dr. Sleep, like life is good. Like, Mm -hmm. like the, the, the essence, the, the materiality going back to that of life is a, a good in the capital G sense. And I wonder the image I'm picturing is like a, like a bubble. Think like the shimmer in annihilation, but Mm -hmm. we contextualized the shimmer in that conversation as, as, as maybe being a positive. I'm just going with the, the mental image, not so much the connotations of it. So, in this, talk about big ideas here, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, I actually think this is a pretty simple movie on a certain level, but is inviting all of this. Like, so you've got the world as a, and in that concentric circle, a concentric circle inside of that is, is the systems of the world. Mm. And we all mm. operate inside of that bubble. Yeah. And you're invoking EJI was momentous for me and sort of wrapping my head around some of this stuff. Like with, I'm just going to say these things and try to figure out how to piece the puzzle together. But like what, what happens? And I think this is part of faithfulness. What happens when, when you step outside of that bubble Mm. and are able to at least comprehend that it exists, we'll never be able to fully kind of ascertain its enormity. Right. Right. And by it, I'm simply referring to just this totality, just this, the ways humans have developed and operate in the world, not the world itself. If you could step out of that mm-hmm. and observe it and not just observe it, but look at what its operation has wrought to creation. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you, it's tree beard turning to walk away and seeing what has, what is happening to yes. Fangorn. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's waking up to recognition that the mechanisms we've instituted that are in the film war and violent physical conflict that in our country are political 
and psychological conflict. Sure. Yeah. That these, that those things agitate in ways we are, that are imperceptible to us if we're not attempting to be outside the bubble. Right. And right. I just wonder, like, this, I'm getting real metaphysical and I'm not, I'm trying to ground it a little bit here because that's what I felt like your EJI example did for me was what does it look like to ask forgiveness of creation? Mm. Mm. Right. Mm. Like, yeah, what is right, that? Right. And I feel like that, if, if there is a most mature version of lived faith, it might be something to do with that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yes, it's yes. no longer about, well, you wronged me. So it's now it's you and I, this, this real intimate, you use the word personal. And I think, I think you're not wrong. And I think you might agree where I'm going with this. We have, we have so microscoped that the, the tiniest infraction is the, is the most wretched transgression. Sure. Yes. Instead yeah. of seeing, okay, there is, it's, it's, it's forgiving that bubble. It's forgiving reality for being itself. It's, it's acknowledging this thing is real and is present in violence and psychological torment and conflict on, on a civilizational scale and being able to say to creation and the God who breathed it, can can you forgive us? Mm, mm. Which isn't me putting on atonement mentality. It's saying no. I understand. We participate. We we are breaking this thing, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it is and and thus in turn, it's it's a drink takes a man, a man builds a system, a system builds a system, a system eats a man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what does it look like to walk in humility for? the ways we continue to transgress and participate in those systems. I don't know. Maybe I'm far afield of what you were scratching at, but no, I do think it's all as it's all a piece. Um, there's, there's a lot of this series is about remnants. This yes. series is about what's left after something's gone, you know, like this, this moment that we're in is all about taking a look at, how our lives have irrevocably been made different in the moment. And some of us are desperately clutching to recreate as fast as possible what life looked like before. Some of us are terrified to look at what life will look like in the near term. And there's some of us who, who wonder if we're even going to make it through X, Y, Z at all. And what so much of this conversation sparks for me is the opening text of the film said fear and anxiety mm -hmm. just grew rampant mm -hmm. everywhere. And then they, they, they cited, I didn't write it down, so I'm probably not quoting it verbatim, but they cited later in the film that, you know, when the wind blows, like it, it blows where there is fear and anxiety growing mm -hmm. and that, that wind blowing, uh, coming in. And so I feel like so much of what we're speculating on, it's, it's a powerful and beautiful thought. And I don't say this dismissively. I say it, affirmingly uh it's a powerful beautiful thought what is it what does it mean for us to ask forgiveness of creation and and what does it mean to enter into that conversation humbly and enter into that conversation without intention to scar but with intention to restore and with intention right. to heal you know what does what does that look like and and these places and these spaces i mean the the missile i 
I don't think it's insignificant. Like the missile came through the roof and the final image of this film, which as we've speculated about before is an idea of like, you can kind of perceive that the last moment of the film is kind of what the film in most cases wants you to think about. That's what it wants you to to leave thinking about. And the final moment of this, it shows that the head of the doll is still on the stairs and the precious book that was gifted from her mother, the symbol of her hopes and dreams for medical school is, is laying there pages fluttering in the wind all under the shadow uh, I didn't mean to do that. Under the shadow of this, uh, You're that good <laughs> of of this hole in the ceiling, sure, a place where something happened, of this scar to the building that that has um been wrought down and has left such devastation in its wake. And but and- see, I wonder too. I'm sorry to cut you off, but to mm-hmm. contextualize a little further, there, my comprehension of that was that and maybe this is ultimately where you're going so i'm sorry if i if i cut that off prematurely but is that these it establishes in the mythology of this spirit that it attaches itself to yes artifacts yes. personal belongings and so mm-hmm. it's like they're fleeing and ostensibly they'll never be free right they'll never be free from it no so right. i mean i wasn't going to make it that succinct that succinct um that yeah they will they will forever be under the shadow of this this mm-hmm. thing that that has taken place and i feel like those are the ways in which we and and, and i would say this but isn't maybe, that i'm sorry i'm sorry but no, isn't no, that the point isn't that however ill-equipped we may be i do think we are gifted with the resources to step out of that mm. shadow you know what I mean? Like, I don't actually think the movie is a nihilistic film on a, on a real dour level, but no, that, no. but that punctuation mark does paint. We will forever be scarred. It's mm-hmm. Jill and Nora's gun. It's yeah, can right, we right. be whole? Can we be it's okay? Jesus right. saying, do you want to be healed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's, you know, because you could ask the question of, well, of course I do, but we continue to uh exacerbate and to propagate violence and conflict you know in the name of right Mm -hmm. in the name of you know exceptionalism uh because there's so much there's so much about that moment that you just cited the story you just cited where jesus encounters the man who had been crippled and was laying by the pool of bethesda and um uh Bethesda, Bethsaida, I don't remember. Basically, he's laying by a pool that would periodically be you're troubled. You're already further than I am, so you're good. <laughs> but he would be, the, the pool would be troubled by the Spirit of God. And whoever was the first person in that pool would be healed of whatever their ailments were. The story in the Bible points out to us that there was a man who had been there for a number of years. The amount, the specific amount escapes me, but for a number of years. And when Jesus asks, you know, would you be whole? He says, well, there's nobody to take me. There's nobody to, to, to bring me to the pool. So essentially adopting, well, this is how it is. So I can't ever get out of this. This is how it is. And here comes Christ with a complete, like, that's not the question I asked you. Right, right. <laughs> I didn't ask you a question of who can carry you to the water so you can be right. well. I didn't ask you that question. I asked, do you want to be well? So right. do, you, do you want to start looking and thinking at this differently? Do you right. want to start um, imagining a different perception for all of these things that you're that you're interacting with and engaging with at this moment? And I think that's the pertinent question to us. Ezekiel asked the we cited it earlier. Ezekiel asked the question: Can these or uh, God asked the question of Ezekiel? Ezekiel didn't ask. God asked him: Can these bones live? 
And and that's the question before. Do you want to be well? Can these bones live? Right. You know, the put 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 the land on notice. Recognize the new has come. The kingdom is at hand. You have what what you have at your immediacy an opportunity to look, think, feel, and walk differently in the world. Right. And and yet we continue to perpetuate the systems that continue to haunt and scar the land. This is ostensibly our final conversation in this short series about ghost stories. And this is, it should be noted, under the shadow, while a per- I now I'm convinced a perfect place to stop this series, because we'll be talking about the leftovers next week, but... Um, this is not a ghost, like a um, a uh, being who was alive and then now is deceased. Right. Um, this is a, a a monstrosity that is wrought from pain and fear and anxiety that has that has saturated this specific place and is right. haunting this place and is consuming whatever is still there. And if we look at, I mean, your your identifier of this place and time, and I know we need to wind down, but this identifier of place and time, it's it the, all of the dots are connecting right. you know right. uh the the very first film we covered a ghost story and he's locked to that home um the the changeling he goes back to that house and and the house is trying desperately to communicate and the spirit within the house is trying desperately to communicate stir of echoes last week all of these same things about the like the way that these places are sort of scarred and haunted by these things and this this remnant um that i feel i feel the important charge to us is to take a moment and to recognize the the trauma and the the systems that have scarred is this the most appropriate word that I keep yeah. coming to like like what has scarred us and and looking at those scars um, not as moments or opportunities where we would further perpetuate wounds in others and in ourselves. But looking at how we can mend them and how we can learn from them and how we can bind them and how we can potentially um, stop the blows from continuing to happen in in ourselves or in other people. And uh, I, I just keep coming back to I'm probably going to shut up after this, but I just keep probably coming not. back to <laughs> I keep coming back to what does it look like to to ask forgiveness of of creation? And because what is it? because what that question requires and and you know this meditation on presence keeps coming to me and this this uh i can't get away from our parasite conversation of own the place Mm. like Mm. live into this moment and the now which is you know the eternal present because what does it look like to ask forgiveness of creation requires the self-awareness to even ask Right. 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 And we can't be self-aware if we're always looking back at nostalgia and calling it God. Right. Of we course. can't be yes. self-aware if we're always looking at the by and by and saying, I can't wait. True. Yes. Those mm-hmm. things shred us mm-hmm. and, and it can't be, uh, it, we can't be self-aware if we're the man who says no one will carry me. Right. I want to asterisk this by just saying systemic oppression is a real thing. Systemic problems are real things, but it, what comes to mind is, you know, Jesus being asked about paying taxes and give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It doesn't matter. Like this is the now, like 
you you operate and you live in the world you're in. And so, yeah. so and I, I don't think we referenced it in this particular series of conversations, but I've brought up before about the moment with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And when Martha came to him, Martha said a couple of things to him. She said, first of all, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Right. And then he said to her, your brother will live. And she says, mm-hmm. I know eventually right, right, he's right. going to live. So she had faith for the past, nostalgia. Right. She had pay, she had faith for what could come, no faith for that moment. No, right. I mean I right. am coming forth right. to bring right. resurrection and life right now. And I mean now this moment. And we don't and we operate the same way. We have faith for the past. I see what was done. I believe it was real. We have faith for the future. Maybe sometime in the near distant future, if we can rot it, it will come again. Now the right. kingdom of heaven is here. Right. It is at hand. In you. And and it is within Own you. The place. Own the place. And, Holy and, <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, like, yes, take yes. that analogy. And I know we're borrowing from Parasite here, but take the analogy to the geography idea, the place, the placeness. Yeah. Oh, yes. own yeah. the place, mm-hmm. own your place, own yeah. this place. And in that you will be a good caretaker of it. Yes. Like yes. that be is present. Yeah. right. Like yeah. so much of whether it's parasite or scripture is about stewardship it's about ownership it's about self-awareness it's about not leaning on nostalgia it's about recognizing i mean they do a good job in under the shadow ultimately although it it got a little i was unsure for a minute there of ultimately motivating why the mom wants to stay like it becomes about the solidarity with her daughter Right, but, right. But these are bad choices. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right, and yes. I say that simply to acknowledge, like, she's still not operating in self-awareness and wholeness. Right. Like, yes. like it's, it, it, there's so many times it's hard for me to just be like, what, what am I feeling? You know, like, like, yeah, not course. as in I'm feeling a thing I can't identify, but as in like, you know, how do I contextualize my my place. How do I contextualize my place? Right, right. And it's like, well, I'm not at home over there. I'm not at home over there. Those people are crazy. These people are <laughs> lazy, whatever. You know, it's like, yeah, you, yeah. but that's, that seems like a weird tangent. I, I'm, I'm all I'm trying to kind of wrestle down is it's, it's the changeling and change your own mind. It's yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I need to be self-aware and present and now because yeah. my family needs that. I yes. need that. Yes. So that absolutely. Yeah. I don't become a martyr to protect dead values. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Right. Like, yes. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. No. And, and <laughs> yeah, for real under the shadow, missile, y'all missile uh, on the roof. <laughs> it's a missile on <laughs> the roof. There's no, from this henceforth, uh, the poop club <laughs> standard has changed. The grenade in a backpack standard has changed. It's, it's now <laughs> missile in the roof because yeah. that's, that's where we are. Um, we've said a lot. I, do, I actively think it's the moment where we should just sort of leave that conversation and let it linger and digest it some more uh, for another day. Um, so let's pivot over to the fog meter. Why don't you tell everybody what that's about in case they haven't been keeping up? Uh, fog meter. We measure these films on our homebrewed metric of fear and God. How scary is a thing? How substantive is a thing? Uh, I'll, on a scale of one to ten, I'm going to give... An 11 to under the shadow for the fear. <laughs> no, um, 
Uh, My only concern and speak to this. So because I'm tempted to give it like a nine, um, I mean, I'm tempted to give it a 10, but my only concern is does, does the scare factor hold up on repeat viewings? Cause if it's, mainly it's my second just, time seeing it yeah, and, yeah. and I and you, was terrified. You had to change. I, I was terrified. Yeah, yeah. It was my second time seeing it. I admit that it had been a, a good distance between it. I'm giving it a 10. I don't know if that pushes okay. you, but well, like, I'll do I'm, it. Yeah. yeah, I'm giving it a 10. It's, it's a solid 10 for me on the fear factor because I mean, I paced my house for half an yeah. hour. Oh yeah. And it's eight a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's electric. It's absolutely electric. So yeah, solid ten uh, for me. What I about you for, for God Factor? So that one's tricky. I think this film has a lot of very strong things on its mind. I think it is a patient film. I think it's a calculated film, and I think it's a remarkably effective film. Um, I'm gonna go nine for God. I th- I th- My impulse was eight because I do think. I always will give some credit where I just have some ignorance. Like this is sure. so rooted yeah, yeah. in a place. Yes. Like, like oh, its absolutely. conflict yes. is born of geography. Yes. Uh, and a geography. Yeah. But this is also why I love kind of foreign language stuff is like, I enjoy like, okay, this is not my culture or world. So let me right. kind of dig in and, right. and kind mm-hmm. of comprehend this. Um, you know, cause my, Initially, I was like, well, is there not a lot there? But I'm just giving a lot of weight to perception and, and mm, or rather mm. perspective is the word I'm looking for there. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go eight. Okay. And that means that we give Under the Shadow, one of the very few Persian language horror films, a nine and a half out of ten on the, on the God is baller. Like, yes, that's high. That's really high for the fog meter. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, I think this probably goes without saying. And we get to change it six. <laughs> <laughs> so would you recommend Under the Shadow? Yes. I recommend it. Sure. I mean, um, I do. And yeah. it's not qualified in that way of like, just for this demographic, it is qualified in that way of like, oh my God, it is yeah. <laughs> so stressful. It sneaks up on it's you. It so does sneak stressful. up on you. Yes. Oh my Lord. But it's yeah, a, yeah, I it's do. a very, it's a very affecting film. Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, it's, it's really affecting. It'll stick with you. It's, it's powerful. It's, um, it's a really, I mean, I recommended it to film. my sister and her husband and I sent them my video. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. That's we'll make awesome. that part of the feed this week. Um, yeah, absolutely. We will. Um, so man, Riri, uh, good combo, man. yeah, this was a great conversation. I, I really, um, I feel kind of energized by just getting to talk through some of these things. And, uh, so ladies and gentlemen, Next week, we're bringing this little Oof. mini-series, uh, this broader series of Hashtag In The Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, uh, and this smaller sub-series of Hashtag Remnant, focusing on HBO's The Leftovers Season 1 and Ghost Stories. Um, we're bringing it to a close next week with a full conversation about our thoughts, thematic and otherwise, on Episodes 9 and 10 of Season 1 of HBO's The Leftovers and of our thoughts on season one as a whole. So uh, catch up with that show. 
Uh, join us for those for that conversation next week. We will be pivoting after that to 2020-2020, so don't forget to vote. But Nathan, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and listeners, you thank you. Just, for- just as a brief before you do that, you mentioned when, one call to action, just to reiterate. Oh, vote, yes. Give us your email. We'll give you a sticker. Yes. Book, book club, Lovecraft book Country. Gonna, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what you're watching audience folk it's your turn you're watching yep absolutely um so uh yes all of that please please engage with us (laughs) um as always listeners thank you as well for uh sticking along for this ride and as we say on every episode the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing we'll see you next week everybody see you guys bye The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork. To Lee Wright, who helped me read Lackey write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.